Hi guys, welcome to the Katie Helper Show. Just wanted to give you guys a chance to hear some hot takes about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez win. So what I do on this special episode is I speak to a bunch of different people and I collect their thoughts. And this is also a reminder that if you want to hear more about the Democrats, more about how traditional Democrats are failing, more about why someone like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, a DSA member, uh, Democratic Socialists of America, someone who opposes ICE, someone who calls for the abolition of ICE, if you want to hear about how and why people like that are winning elections, you can get a great insight into that at our live taping tonight, June 30th, depending on when you're listening to this, hopefully you're listening to it the day of, June 30th, if not, hopefully you came to the show anyway, and you'll be able to see it, hear it when we release it later, but I'm referring to our live taping at Caveat at 21 Clinton Street with none other than Thomas Frank. Thomas Frank, of course, is the writer of Listen Liberal or Whatever Happened to the Party of the People. He's also the author of What's the Matter with Kansas, and he writes for places like The Guardian and Harper's, and he has a very interesting trajectory going from a kind of uh, frequently cited pundit to someone who writes more for the non-American press, and that's for reasons that we'll get into tonight. But spoiler alert, it has something to do with him, with his being critical of Democrats. In fact, I asked Thomas Frank to leave a very brief assessment of what the takeaway from the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez win was, and he said... What we learned from this is that, once again, the liberals have to be dragged, kicking and screaming, to their own victory. And to hear even more of his thoughts, make sure you come out tonight, because we're talking to him. And again, that's at Caveat. June 30th, Saturday, 7 p.m. Just come to the venue and get tickets. Now, this is not like other live tapings of the Katie Helper Show. We're actually going to start this one on time. Doors open at 6.30. Show starts at 7 p.m. And any photographers out there want a free ticket or two to see Thomas Ring tonight, Saturday, June 30th, we would love some photos. And we just realized it would be great to get some good ones. Please use the hashtag Katie Help Show. That's letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S, H-O-W. Again, that's Katie Help Show. Letter K, letter T, H-A-L-P-S-H-O-W, with the hashtag sign. Tweet that you can do it if you're a photographer. You can hear the Katie Happel Show every Wednesday at 7 p.m. on WBAI. That's 99.5 FM, WBAI.org. You can also find us on iTunes, where you can rate and review us. And you can find us on SoundCloud. Also find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. Again, that's patreon.com slash the Katie Helper Show. And I start out the episode by going over the worst takes from the media on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez's win with... Emma Bigland from The Young Turks. Uh, and Emma, who you can find at The Young Turks, and you can find her on Twitter at Emma Bigland, just E-M-M-A-V-I-G-E-L-A-N-D. She is one of the first reporters to really cover Ocasio-Cortez. Hey everyone, I'm back with Katie Halper. Uh, we are still feeling the buzz from the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez victory, so we want to keep talking about it, even though I know we've done extensive, extensive coverage on it. Um, we were both at the election night party, we ran into each other, we got to talk to Alex. Uh, we've both been covering this race very early on, so it's near and dear to our hearts. So that's why when people like Joy Reid tweet things like this about political journalism, uh, just getting to know Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, it irritates us a little. So Joy Reid tweeted, pretty much all of political journalism are doing an Ocasio-Cortez crash course tonight, myself included. Now, the Young Turks, 
has been covering Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez along with uh, Jimmy Dore uh, for about a year now. I did a four-part series with her where I thought she was important enough to spend the entire day uh, with her campaign. And this is an example of the mainstream media bubble and now articles on NBC, outlets affiliated with MSNBC aren't crediting the Young Turks or The Intercept, who, you know, they've credited The Intercept sometimes, but not really The Young Turks, uh, when they're referencing the media that's been covering this race. Um, let's just dive right in there. Yeah. What, what, uh, this is an obvious example of how out of touch right. Joy Reid is. I think what happens is when you spend all your time covering Russiagate and um, inventing narratives about how racist and sexist and homophobic Bernie Sanders and his supporters are, you miss a lot of things, including an insurgent race. And Joy Reid doesn't even live in Washington, D.C. She lives in New York. So the fact that she would miss this congressional primary where a young, a 28-year-old, working-class Puerto Rican Bronx native woman is running against basically the male, white, straight, Democratic establishment, the one that Joy Reid at all claimed to hate, the fact that she could miss that is really shocking. And I think it's, I mean, just imagine if people paid attention to Ocasio. Now, Ocasio won, which was both incredible, but I thought she would win, actually. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't even want to say it. I right. know I'm regretting it now because we were on camera talking about it in the back of my mind. I'm so superstitious. I right. used to not say the words win before New York's Giants games. I instructed my dad not to do the same because I thought that that would affect the outcome. Yeah. Like, I'm a little we'll crazy like that. to see how it worked out. With right, the right, exactly. Um, uh, we can have Nate Silver crunch yeah, those I numbers. Knew, I knew she would win-win. I thought maybe she wouldn't win. Like, I thought Dems would maybe do something with the counting of the ballots, which, of course, makes me sound like a conspiracy theory, too. theorist. Yeah. But then all those things are actually true. We know that they happen, not yeah. that the mainstream media covers it, which then makes people covering it look like we're fringe. We're not. We're just doing the work that the mainstream, whatever, corporate media isn't doing. If not changing votes, which I wouldn't even go as far as to say, it's more just like the shady tactics of the Democratic right. Party but in New York. But even counting, and what did they, I mean, they did all this other stuff in the primaries and letting people vote and not letting people vote. And, it's yeah. so, yeah, it's it's shady all around. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Joy Reid, um, I suggest that you watch Emma's videos. You could listen to my podcast, because I had Alexandria on. Um, and yeah, and then you have all these bad takes um, following her victory. And I can't get enough of them, by the I way. I know. We should have a, a segment called Worst Takes or Worst Takes Ever, like Colbert used to do with, like, Bush. She's going to be on Colbert best. tonight. This may go up uh, on Friday, but Thursday night, uh, Thursday the 28th, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez Celebrity going to be on Stephen Colbert's show. Wow. Unbelievable. Um, she, you know, I, I, I joke that she got the Katie Helper show bump and Ben Jealous got the Katie Helper show bump. So th that's what happens. You There's go on the one Katie thing Alper that's show, common. That's the one, the one common denominator. <laughs> right. And um, Zephyr Teachout, I think this is exciting because I think I really want other progressives, especially other progressive women, um, to win. Zephyr, Te Zephyr Teachout and then Julia Salazar, who's a DSA candidate running for state senate. Zephyr is running for attorney general. She's like one of the smartest people out there. Unbelievable. She's a lawyer. She's anti-corruption. She's the perfect person to be attorney general. She said she would sue Trump. And um, another great take is from Dana Milbank at the Washington Post, who said that the only reason that um, she won was because of demographics. Oh, that's fun. Demographics. That's so that's a that's a basically a racist thing to say. Yeah. So I'm going to go out there and say that you uh, would never say that if she was 
you know, the the incumbent, right. or maybe she they would say it if she was the more you know establishment right. incumbent. But now because they haven't paid any attention to the race, it's lazy journalism. So they go. She's a Latina woman. Right. This district is 48% Latina. So right. it's got to be demographics. Even though they re-elected and re-elected and re-elected Joe Crowley for term after term right. after term. And he was appointed the first time, right? But now it's demographics. Right. It's well, insulting. They, so Milbank writes, Crowley lost because of the changing demographics in his district, which had been, which had been redrawn considerably after 2010, is now only 18% white. Yes, Ocasio calls herself a socialist, but Crowley was a down-the-line liberal, particularly in recent years, and a champion of single-payer health care. The issue Ocasio-Cortez used against him were largely non-ideological, moving his family to Washington and taking special interest money. That's not Crowley true. Crowley evidently didn't realize he was in trouble until too late and <laughs> never saw colleagues help in what was a low turnout primary. Um, sorry, Dana, not living in your district, being out of touch is pretty ideological. It's pretty much like the more insurgent and the more um, anti-status quo you are, the more in touch you are, the more you're actually living with the community. I mean, look at Bernie Sanders. He, he always like flew coach, right? Other people are flying first class. These are issues that are related to ideology. And special interest money is, of course, related to ideology. I mean, But they pretend like it's not because that's what, the, that, that ensures that they can continue doing things the way that they are. Exactly. Because that's they can take they corporate money. Take, right. It doesn't affect my policies, even though right. it so obviously does. Right. And, and also the media wants the takeaway to be, um, they don't want the takeaway to be that when you're a socialist, when you're progressive, when you're actually responding to people's real needs and speaking to them. Look what Ocasio did. She said health care, single payer, Medicare for all, and abolishing ICE. She offered real things, not these like milquetoast moderate talking points that nobody remembers and that doesn't excite anyone. I mean, that's the problem. The Dems, one of their infinite number of problems is that they think that the way you beat radical right-wingism and pseudo-populism is by moving right and being a moderate. That's not how you beat it. It doesn't excite anyone. It doesn't speak to what the right-wing radicalism speaks to. You you do it through left-wing populism. And I've actually heard Jimmy Dore say this before. If you run a Republican against a Republican, the Republican wins every time. So the real Republican will always win because you don't make your case. You just play on their turf. If you run a Republican against a Republican? Right. Like, okay. it's just a play on words because right, the see. Republican being... The, 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 the centrist, centrist yeah, right, Democrat. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And um, another f great take was from Steve Schmidt, who um, is, <laughs> likes to brag about the fact that he stopped being a Republican like two days ago. Even though he's the one who's solely responsible for Sarah Palin. Yeah. So Steve Schmidt, I really want your guidance and input because you worked for um, McCain's fail campaign. You thought the Republicans were good through Reagan, Bush, McCain. It was your idea for him to name Sarah Palin as a running mate. That's not just bad, like policy that's really dumb politics. He was also a Dick Cheney aide. Jesus. Um, anyway, he was on uh, MSNBC because MSNBC is so progressive that they have this guy who is a Republican um, up until like three days ago. And he said he equated um, Ocasio-Cortez with a Trump of the left. Once upon a time in American politics, it was a business of persuasion. You would try to persuade people that your ideas were slightly better than the other side. It has become a game of incitement. And what Trump is doing is radicalizing American politics. And he is a beneficiary, the more radical politics becomes. When it becomes a game of incitement between a far left who says, everybody's going to have a government job, everybody's going to have daycare, Everybody's going to have retirement, free, schools. free school, free high school, free college education as we careen towards $30 trillion in debt. When we have dishonest progressivism, 
right? And we have dishonest Trumpism, an alienated middle that surrenders. They break their will to fight back. They become disenfranchised and hopeless about the idea that free market capitalism or liberal democracy can prevail in a radical era. That is the danger. Well, this is the moment for the center to rise. The point is, it's already ridiculous when people compare um, Sanders and Corbyn to Trump. It's very stupid and lazy. They both, you know what Sanders and Corbyn do is that they speak to anger and they tell angry people, I get why you're angry and, and, the, and the people responsible are, the things responsible is inequality, um, you know, uh, corporations, uh, pharmaceutical companies, um, insurance companies. Whereas Trump goes, I get why you're angry, and the people responsible are Mexicans and Muslims. Those things are so significantly different. Yeah. And one of them is what peels away people from the other. That's how you get those angry people, by saying, no, it's not disenfranchised, marginalized people. Not that they use that language. You shouldn't use that language. It's not very accessible. But the point is, comparing Trump to Ocasio, I mean, just on very basic um, levels, she has the, the mannerism, her demeanor, she's like, not at all. Uh, she doesn't have that grouchy thing that, that Sanders and um, Corbyn have just in presentation, which has nothing to do with politics. But how on earth is she like Trump? She's not full of hate. She's not, it's not, the, it's not as extremist to say that um, ICE should be abolished. It was created recently. It's not extremist to say that. It's not extremist to say that families shouldn't be ripped apart. And it's not extremist to say that people shouldn't die because they don't have money. So where is the equivalent to Trump? threatening the establishment. Right, God forbid we have people who could beat Trump. Well, Steve Schmidt doesn't want Trump to be beaten. You yeah. know he presents. He'd rather a Trump than a... Than an Ocasio. But it's a great endorsement. Congratulations, Mazel Tov, uh, Alexandria, to be uh, smeared by a guy with such a track record, uh, an ex-Cheney aide, Sarah Palin endorsers. Quite Take it and run with it. Feet, yeah. And now for some reflections. Hi, my name is Sean McAwee and I'm the co-founder of Data for Progress. I first heard about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez uh, last year. Um, I host a happy hour, and I love having young, um, progressive left candidates come by. Um, and I thought that her campaign was really exciting. And when I first met her, she was taking a break from a day of knocking on doors and she had been organizing in her community for, for multiple years at the time. And she had a really compelling elevator pitch about why she could take down uh, one of the most powerful Democrats in the country. She said, you know, he, he was never elected to this office. Um, you know, he was appointed. Um, he's not in touch with the district. He's taking all this money from corporate PACs. And I think I can beat him. And she was knocking on doors, you know, every day at that point. And I don't think she ever stopped. I, I think I, I tweeted out in, in, in May that I thought that there was a, there was a possibility she was going to win. I will say I did not think it was going to be double digits. Um, look, this was where it was going to happen, if it was going to happen. Um, this was a, a really strong, uh, this is a good district. And, you know, um... There were a lot of other candidates, uh, Suraj Patel, um, Adam Bunkadeko, um, who, I, who I know personally and who, who came by the happy hour. And I think that they did an amazing job and they did far better than anyone expected. I don't think anyone expected Bunkadeko to come within three points. 
and I certainly don't think anyone expected Patel to hit 40. And I think that the key difference between those two candidates is the amount of time and energy um, and organizing and love that Ocasio-Cortez put into that race and has for the community um, uh, of her district. Um, so the night of, I had been, I've been planning to go to the to the to the party for a minute, and I was doing some work, um, and I get a I get a bunch of texts like, "Holy fuck, this is happening!" And the first early returns came in, and again, like, I thought it was going to be tight, and it was starting to look like a blowout, and I immediately just grabbed the cab and headed to the to the Bronx. Um, where the where the campaign um, you know watch party was being held and um, so I saw uh, Ocasio-Cortez get there um, I saw the look on her face and um, the energy in the room you know there was chanting um, there was uh, there was a lot of excitement and uh, Ocasio-Cortez was just in this state where she would be switching between English language media and then Spanish language media and then hugging her supporters and then English language media and then Spanish language media. Um, and uh, the thing about um, Ocasio-Cortez is she's just so strong um, just right off the off the cuff. Um, she's, she's really compelling. She's a really powerful candidate. Yeah, uh, so there's been this narrative that this this is really just, you know, about the demographics of the district. And it's 100% clear that that was one thing that created a path to victory for um, Ocasio-Cortez. But I think that the determinative factor was, you know, years of organizing within this community and an incredible ground game Um a strategy that centered, you know, mobilizing sort of marginal voters and folks who might not always show up to the polls and a really fucking clear moral vision for what the world should look like. I think that there's this amazing moment um, in the debates between uh, Ocasio-Cortez and Crowley where, you know, she says, you say that ICE is a fascist organization. Why won't you call for abolishing it? And that, I think, gets at the central tension within the establishment of this country where we, th- we want to say that Trump is a fascist. We want to say they want to say Trump is fascist. They want to say that Trump is a threat to democracy, but they don't want to do anything about it. And I think that the message that Ocasio-Cortez has is like you can't regulate fascism. You just have a fascist force that's well regulated. And she called for abolishing ICE. And I think that in a district that is, you know, 50% immigrant, that was a really powerful message. Medicare for all is a powerful message. I'm with you is a powerful message. The fact that Crowley doesn't spend time in that district, the fact that he was mostly trying to climb the ladder within, you know, um, D.C. and not actually spending time in the district was real. The fact that he had not faced a competitive primary was real. The fact that he was not battle tested uh, was real. The fact that he didn't even bother to show up to the debate and and send a surrogate instead was real. And all of that created a, an incredibly powerful win and it's going to be replicated. I've already had volunteers from that race reach out to me and be like, I want to go, uh, where's the next race? 
who am I helping next? And each time, whether we win or lose these primaries, we create the infrastructure um, for taking over uh, the Democratic Party. Um, she didn't rely on consultants. Um, she relied on volunteers to help cut her videos, um, to knock on doors, and that's a model. Uh, I think she raised $300,000 in the last filing that I looked at. She'd spent about 150000 of it. I don't know if she spent the rest before the end, but it is you know, almost certain that she was outspent uh, you know, close to 10 to 1 for, for most of the race. We, we can win even with an incredible money disadvantage because we have the moral vision, we have the people, um, and they just have money. Hey, Katie, this is Alex Press. Um, I'm an assistant editor at Jacobin Magazine. I'm calling in to talk about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, who recently, as we all know, uh, had the upset of, uh, of our lifetimes, quite possibly. Um, so, I, you know, I think my one-minute spiel of why her victory is important is, well, first of all, she won. We should trust her when she says she won, thanks to putting the hours on the ground um, when it came to knocking doors and really having outreach very far in advance. Um, but I think what's important for all of us on the left is that she also won because she has a positive message rather than just opposing something like Trump. Um, and not only that, but she's confident when she says it. So, you know, watching all these interviews she's doing, and her line is, I believe no one should be too poor to live in this country. I think that moves people. She's not quibbling. She's stating the facts outright that this country does have the money and the capacity to allow people not to just survive, but to really live a dignified life. I think that's a huge deal. Um, as for why this matters to all of us on the left, well, first of all, it builds real organization in her district, which I think is crucial for the left, and we're going to have to build on it. I, I think she said in her own victory speech um, on the night of the election that this wasn't the end, but it's the beginning. And from someone who, from my perspective as someone who wants to build socialism in this country, I think it matters is agitation. You know, she's going on mainstream channels. She's going on mainstream TV shows. She may be the first person some people in this country well, have ever heard saying something like people should have health care, housing is a right, we have the money for all of this. So for those of us who share those goals, well, that's a huge platform, and it's really hard to imagine a better person to have voicing that vision. Um, so uh, all power to Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, and uh, let's have more of her, more people like her. All right, bye. Hi, my name is Jabari Brisfort. I am a member of the Democratic Socialist of America and also a former city council candidate in New York, in Brooklyn, New York. And I'm a friend of Alexandria's. I first met her over Twitter and then um, in person for the first time when she came to canvas for my campaign. So I essentially helped her out on her campaign by giving her a signal boost on social media, speaking at fundraisers, um, getting people, inviting people to fundraisers to help her and also uh, canvassing a lot and knocked on a lot of doors for her. And I spent election night after polls closed in the campaign office where the air was electric. I mean, even from when the first results came in, people were, were giddy and excited. And as they kept <clears throat> rolling in, the entire office just cheered with every new refresh of the vote count because we were just, the victory was closer and closer. I think she won because she made um, unapologetically bold leftist stances, the universal jobs guarantee, the abolition of ICE, uh, a Green New Deal, 
um, debt relief for Puerto Rico, Medicare for all, free public college. These are things that address people's material needs. And she was in touch with what the district needed in a way that the incumbent, I think, wasn't. So I'm excited to see more candidates like her um, rise through the ranks and, uh, and start bringing some really good things into our Congress. And I would just wanted to address the claim that uh, this was something that was just about demographics. Um, I would really be wary of anyone who claimed that it was as simple as saying, well, you know, she was a Latina and there were plenty of uh, Latino, Latina, Latina, Latinx people in the district and they voted for her based on identity. Um, one, she worked really hard. She canvassed night and day, um, worked her butt off to get signatures and to take this election. She had a massive field operation, people that were just knocking on doors, talking to people, having conversations. And... The people that voted for her were of every color, and the people that volunteered for her were of every color and, and, and creed. And um, in terms of this being a national model, I mean, do I think the Democratic Party should be running only 28-year-old Latina Democratic Socialists? No, but um, the Democratic Party could probably see more wins if they started taking bolder stances like a free public college and Medicare for all and the abolition of ICE and a jobs guarantee. Um, they could win more with these stances, and these are definitely policies that should be adopted. And I'm happy to see things, even like the abolition of ICE, going from something that was really, really on the fringe, I would say, to being taken up by a lot more politicians now. I'm really happy about that. Hi, I'm Virgil Texas, co-host of Chapo Trap House and co-author of the forthcoming book, The Chapo Guide to Revolution, a manifesto against logic, facts, and reason, currently available for pre-order. I first heard of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez several months ago through people in the DSA talking up her chances as a candidate. I was impressed by the amount of media coverage she garnered by the end of the primary, but I was worried that that came in too late to make an impact, and I, like many others who are not familiar with the strength of her campaign, was worried she would not win due to the power of the incumbent and recent setbacks in left primary challenges across the country. I was at her victory party when she won. I was doing a panel for The Intercept, and the first glimmer of victory came when Ryan Grimm told me he had been walking around the district talking to voters, and out of 10 people he spoke to, all 10 voted for Alexandria. So when those early returns came in showing that she was not only ahead, but crushing, I was ready for a monumental upset and an absolute turnaround for the anti-capitalist left's electoral chances. She won by doing the things that one would need to do in any campaign. She outworked her opponent, she pursued earned media to promote her message, and she eloquently and passionately stated her ideals at every opportunity. And most importantly, she recruited a team of volunteers who canvassed intensely to get out the vote for her. In many ways, this race was won several months ago by those volunteers canvassing for Alexandria long before this race was on anyone's radar. The key takeaway is that the left should adopt the principles and professionalism of solid campaigning and should always play to win when engaging in electoral work. And here's a little bonus, which is Jake Flores, host of Pod Damn America, the podcast. He interviewed me, and here's a little bit of something that he said during the podcast interview with me. One of the this back to Vangelis and Ocasio is because I listened to, that, to your interview with Ocasio and something I thought was really interesting was that you asked her where like like you asked her you know how did you come to this this position and a, a lot of times people expect you to uh, 
be like, well, I'm a lifelong Democrat or whatever. I'm a lifelong socialist or whatever. And like, I have these like, and she gave a very honest answer, which is that like, this is all post 2016 politics. I mean, she's 28 years old. There's no reason for her to tell you when I was 22, I read this And she didn't think of running. It was her, it was her brother who nominated her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she also posed a very reasonable explanation of why, the the political circumstances surrounding her at the time during 2016 led her to become a socialist which is what we get accused all the time of like oh you're doing this because it's like a trend or something but these are you know if you if you look at your surroundings at any given point and actually do the reading and apply any of this thought to like your life you probably are going to end up as you know socialist and like left right or you Um, were raised by Secular Jewish communists on the Upper West Side <laughs> went to a communist summer camp. Is but, that yeah, your story? Two, yeah. That's yeah. kind of interesting to me because I was raised by fucking capitalists, and so like for me, like you know, leftism is this big thing that I had to like come to. So, thanks so much for listening to the Katie Halper Show. See you soon.